When your ideal customer is visiting your world, they're going to your website, is it abundantly clear who you are and how you could help them? Are your various offers and courses very clear about how they are going to help me, what result they're going to get me, and is that appealing for your perfect and ideal customer? Regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. Hey everyone, welcome into the Online Course Show. I am Jacques Hopkins and we have a good one for you here today. Shortly I'll be joined by my guest Michael Kilkelly who has courses, or should I say a course, a program in the architecture space. Now full disclosure, Michael has been a part of my coaching programs for the past couple of years. So I've known him for a while, but when we first met, Michael was, he was doing a lot of things right. I'll I'll certainly say that, but he was struggling with this whole messaging and clarity thing. He had 18 different course offers and it just wasn't clear when you would go to his website, how he could best help you and which offer you should take. And what was happening is people were getting confused by how Michael could help them. They were getting confused by what offer they should take advantage of and they were leaving, and he wasn't making the sale. And so by vastly simplifying, getting clear with his messaging, and really focusing on one core key main offer, he is making way more money today than he was back when he had 18 different offers out there. So in this conversation, we'll certainly go into more detail about that. We'll talk about how he runs live cohorts through his program and how that's been just an awesome business model for him and he absolutely loves it. We talk about how he got started by just putting free, valuable content out there before trying to sell anything. He just, within his niche, started doing blog posts, articles many years ago and that's how he built his audience and that is the key to what's sustaining him today as well. And of course, many more great nuggets and words of wisdom. Before we get into the full conversation, let me tell you about Tella. Tella is a screen recording software like no other. As a course creator, you likely every now and then, or maybe all the time, you need to record your screen. But you know what's really cool is when you can record your screen and you on camera at the same time. And you know what's even cooler than all that, because a lot of software does that, is when you put all that together and it looks like just so well produced and so professional and not just that canned template where you got the screen and you in a little bubble in the corner. You may need to see it for yourself to truly appreciate how cool it looks, but imagine if you could make videos like that yourself very, very easily. And Tella is what allows you to do that. If you want to try out Tella, you can do so for free and then If you want to sign up for the paid program, you can get 30% off for life by going to tella.tv slash OCG. That's T-E-L-L-A dot TV slash OCG. And now here is the full conversation between myself and Michael Kilkelly of arcsmarter.com. Hey, Michael, welcome to the online course show. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be here. So we know each other a little bit, but for the sake of the audience, why don't you give them the uh, 
the the quick rundown of your business and a little bit of how we got here. Sure. So my name is Michael Kilkelly. I am uh, trained as an architect and worked uh, as an architect for a long time. And as I was uh, being an architect, I realized, you know, there's a lot of boring stuff that we have to do. And I ended up um, teaching myself how to program. And I learned how to program basically to make my my job easier. Um, and I started writing my own programs, automating a lot of the, the kind of CAD computer-aided drafting and building information modeling software that we use. Uh, and I did that for a while and ended up becoming kind of a consultant doing that type of work. So working with other architecture and engineering firms. Uh, and I did that for a number of years. And as part of that, I created my own kind of course business, uh, teaching architects and engineers how to program. And uh, right now, I, I did that independently for a while. And I actually uh, had a client who hired me full time uh, to do that. And I still run my course business kind of on the side. Um, but it's been through a number of different iterations. And in fact, that's how I got hooked up with you, Jacques, was uh, listening to your podcast. And then also I joined uh, your sort of course creator boot camp. It was, was it two years ago, a year ago? Yeah, two years ago now. Two years yep. Ago. Yep. Um, which was a great experience. And then um, kind of the course that I launched during that uh, has evolved over the years um, and is now kind of a, a more of a, course slash community hybrid. Yeah. So why, why is it that architects and engineers would need to learn how to program? I, I was thinking about this today and it's, you know, you, anytime you see an, an architect in the movies or on TV, it's like they're sitting by themselves at a drafting board, they're drawing by hand, you know, and they're coming up with these great ideas. And then magically like the building appears. Uh, what they don't show uh, because it's, it's not terribly cinematic is that like, there's a lot of tedious work that goes into getting an idea, you know, into drawings, into blueprints, and then actually build. So you don't see like the, the 50 or 60 other people who are slaving away on their computer creating drawings. And so I've worked on, you know, some particularly for large projects, you may have, uh, you know, 500, 600 sheets of drawings that describe the building that the building, the builder is then going to use to price and to, you know, actually construct the building. So there's a lot of effort that goes into the drawings themselves. And even though we use software that's, you know, 3D software that's pretty advanced, there's still, you know, at some point, someone's going to change the name of the bathrooms to toilet rooms or something like that. And somebody has to go through and change all of those rooms individually. So it's, you know, little, there's a lot of tedious things like that, uh, that have to get done in the course of a, a project. So I was usually the one who had to do it. And so that's why I, I was like, you know what, I don't want to sit here and, and make that one change a thousand times. Maybe I can figure out a better way to do it. And that's, and how, how did you, how did you come up with the name for your brand? So yeah, my brain arc smarter, my brand arc smarter. Um, I was thinking about just, okay, can we, can we be smart architects? Can we start to leverage technology better? Can we work more productively? And there's a, a I don't want to say a tradition, but oftentimes um, within for architects, like you go to architecture school, a lot of the um, sort of mythology about it is, you know, you're going to put in long hours, you're going to pull all nighters, like you're going to work a lot. And then when you get into the profession, you know, there's some of that expectation is carried over. Like, okay, you're, we'll pay you for 40 hours, but you know, you're going to work 70 
because that's, you know, your dedication to the, to the craft and to the profession. Um, and I was working for a firm and I was working, you know, doing those 60, 70 hour weeks. And my wife had just had a baby. Like, so I had a little, you know, a little kid at home. Um, I didn't really want to be working those kind of hours. Um, and so in addition to having to do all these tedious tasks that I really didn't want to do, you know, I didn't want to be pulling as much, like putting in as much time. So, you know, I started looking into productivity automation, um, partly as a quality of life issue. Like I wanted a better quality of life. And so I started my, my website, Arc Smarter, uh, as a way to, you know, promote a different way of working, you know, for architects. And, and it's, I recently came across a concept when you're, when you're naming something, I think it's called the, uh, the scratch or smile framework, something like that, where it's like, when you, when you have a name, have you heard of this? I haven't heard of this. No. When you, when you have a name of something, it should make you smile and not scratch your head. <laughs> and I've, I've always, I've always loved your, your brand name. I think it's absolutely perfect, right? Arc smarter. It helps, you know, clearly helps, you know, architects, um, be smarter at, at what they're doing. So I definitely love that. It was it one of those situations where you, when you came up with the idea, you were like nervous when you went to search for the domain and like hoping it was available. Um, it's a good question. Cause I think I, I started the website maybe in 20, 2013 or 2014. And I remember thinking like, I wanted an action word, like, you know, to, I wanted it to be, uh, to, you know, evoke emotion or, you know, like you need to do something. Like I wanted it to, to get towards working better, arc, arc smarter. Um, and I, I don't remember exactly how I came up with it, but then when I search and I'm like, oh, great, it's available, you know? So um, it was fortunate that way that it, it was available. Yeah. Like I had the idea. That was the only idea I had. <laughs> and then the domain was available. So it kind of, you know, when I very nicely. Yeah, for sure. When, you know, when I got the idea for mine, I, uh, I went to um, namecheap.com to see if it was available and, uh, it was piano in 30 days and it wasn't available. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> so that's where we started. And then, uh, you know, pretty much any other day was available and it just kind of worked out to be 21 days. But I had that experience where I was all excited and it wasn't available. It wasn't available. You know, and it's good that like 21 is better than 30 because it's even, you know, shorter time frame. So that, that's pretty shorter good. time frame. Yeah. yeah. And there's the whole, you know, 21 days to form a habit. It, it worked out, yeah. but yeah. All right. So when people are starting, um, they can be very intimidated by the whole audience building piece, right? Mm -hmm. That one of the big mistakes is you go, you create a brand and then you immediately create the course. Um, but you either, you know, forget about actually building an audience or you, um, or intimidated by it, or you don't know how to do it. Right. How did you in the early days go about trying to get your name out there and building an audience? Uh, so it's funny when I started the website, um, I like to kind of do, do things in public and I, I, I'm very deadline driven. Like I need a deadline. And I think that that's part of being an architect because uh, we're always working on projects and there's always a deadline. So I was going to speak at a conference. Um, it was Autodesk University, which is a big, big conference for, for like architectural software. And I was giving a presentation and at the very end, I, I think it was even the night before the presentation, I'm like, oh, you know, I wanted to launch this website um, and I wanted to start my blog. So I pretty much came up with like the logo and, you know, got 
had one screen and I put up one page on, I had bought the domain at this point, but I put up one page kind of as a coming soon. So when I finished my presentation, my last, you know, the last slide was like, Hey, this is coming in a couple months. Here's my, my website. Um, and so I knew then I had to start creating some content. Uh, and so I didn't, I didn't worry too much about at that stage. Like I just wanted to start writing and I just wanted to, to basically put out again, productivity tutorials, things related to, um, you know, working smarter for architects. So I, I didn't worry too much about, you know, what everything looked like. So I had a real bad wet, a logo. I had a really bad website, but I just started writing articles and, and putting them up there and seeing what, what, you know, worked as far as uh, the audience goes. And I don't know at that point if I even had a mailing list. I think the mailing list kind of came soon after. Um, and really I, I used all of that, like the pressure from the conference. Okay. Now I have to build a website. Now I have the website. Uh, now I put up a mailing list. So now I have to, you know, mail to my audience, you know, such as it was at that point, um, another blog post that I was going to write. Okay. So I have two weeks now I need to write another blog post so then I can email my audience. So I had like the pieces in place. Um, but I, it, it was really that first year, year and a half was really all about sort of content creation and audience building, but doing it all sort of hand in hand. And I was getting, uh, I was capturing, you know, um, email subscribers, you know, as I was going, going along. And then my, I didn't really have a, uh, sort of, curatorial take other than I, I had my domain that I was working within, but I was writing articles about software. I was writing articles about time management, um, you know, a lot of different things related to, you know, the overall concept of um, art smarter, um, but it wasn't super focused at that point. People don't like to, you know, delay gratification, right? We want, we want quick results. And so having to spend a lot of effort and create those articles, I'm guessing you're not making much money that first year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, right? I was, what I was doing consulting. So I, I was working, you know, I was working independently. Um, I had, had been living in California and then, um, you know, at that point we had two, two small kids and we wanted to move back to the East coast, uh, where my wife and I are originally from. And so I ended up, um, you know, we made the move, but I had a good relationship with my, my previous employer. So I stayed with them. Like I did consulting, uh, for them. So I was, you know, living in Connecticut and then, uh, working sort of remotely. This was around 2012, 2013, um, for my, my previous employer as a, as a consultant. So that was good. Like I was able, that was kind of, that was giving me income, but I had always wanted to grow that business. Like I wanted to consult for other architecture engineering firms, um, and then I had also thought, well, maybe at some point I'll do a course. Like I could do some, like, you know, quote, passive income um, mm -hmm. as well. So the, this, the website, the blogging, that all fed into, you know, this idea of growing Arc Smarter. Um, but it was going to take time. That was the, the one thing I knew. So I did have a little bit of time because I had a consulting coming in. So courses were on your radar. But it, it wasn't, it sounds like it wasn't necessarily the main, like the, the main end goal. You were starting this brand and this business and putting out free content as a way to, I don't know if influencer is the right word, but, yeah. but start making a, a brand and name for yourself out there in the world. 
for the purpose of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Some sort of opportunity courses being one of them, but other opportunities as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely, what, that's definitely it. what motivated you to keep going? Because one, you know, one thing people do is they'll, they'll, they'll take the advice of content marketing, put out content and sometimes it takes time, yeah. right? And you're putting, you're putting, you know, in your case, you're writing blog articles and you're emailing them out. Um, what, what was motivating you to keep going? Did you, did you, were you getting some early positive feedback? I was getting feedback. I was getting, um, I was having, you know, regular subscribers, um, you know, and to be honest, I enjoyed like the content creation process. I liked writing. Um, so that helps, you know, that helps kind of guide you along. And I was getting, I was getting inquiries about on the consulting side, like, Hey, can you help us out with this? People would email me. Um, I, I got some traction early on, which I think helped motivate me, but yeah, it was, I'd say at least, you know, a year, I think it was actually, it was 18 months or so before I launched my first course. Um, so it was a good, you know, there was a good lead up to that. And then today I'm on your website now and you've got lots, lots of articles. It, it would, would like SEO, like organic search. Is that the number one people are finding you today? Yeah. I don't do any paid ads or anything like that. Yep. And no other content marketing channels, social media, right. YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I do have, yeah, my, I have a YouTube channel, but it's, it's old and I don't publish to it regularly. Uh, that's on my to-do list for this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, one thing is I, I'm, in it, a very narrow niche, which is good. Um, there's not a lot of competition and I tend to know the people like who are also within my niche. So that definitely helps. And then even within it, you know, it is a narrow niche and then I've, I've niched it down even further. Um, so again, it, it is useful and it's not a, uh, I've found like there's not a lot of content out there specific to you know, my content. Um, and that definitely, that really helps. Sure. Yeah. How big is your email list at this point? Um, at, at about 15,000. 15,000. And awesome. I do periodically, like I'll purge it. Um, I'm due to purge it again, just, you know, people don't open. So typically I'll do that. Once I get around 15,000, I'll purge it. And it seems to get down to about 10,000 and then I'll build it back up. So it, that's kind of the, you know, where it, where it seems to be at right now. Okay. So then when we, when we first met a couple of years ago, um, you know, I was, I was very impressed by your business, loved the brand name, loved what you were doing. But if I remember correctly, I think you had a lot, a lot of offers, right? A lot of courses, a lot of offers. Yep. It was, you know, you, you talk about how specific your niche uh, is today, but I think you were trying to, you know, hit a lot of different things. Do I have that right? Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah. When, <laughs> when I first um, came into your bootcamp, I had 18 courses. So what I found out, like I, I did that first course and I actually, like, I really enjoyed creating courses and um, I liked creating them, but I didn't like always sort of, you know, building a whole marketing, marketing apparatus around it. So I would create a course, I would launch it, you know, it would, it would do well. And then a couple months later, you know, rather than relaunching the course, I'd be like, oh, I just want to do a new course. Like I was kind of like, oh, let's do something new. And so I would create a new course and then I would create a new course and I started creating mini courses. So then all of a sudden, you know, that I had 
18 courses. Again, they're all within um, my niche. And, and my niche in particular deals with um, a, a software platform called Revit, which is building information modeling. So architects, engineers use Revit to create 3D models of buildings. And then from those models, we're able to generate our, our construction drawings from them. Uh, and it's reused a real, a real lot in the U.S., um, probably and, and a lot in Europe uh, and elsewhere in the world as well. So it's, it is sort of the predominant um, software that gets used, uh, but there are other ones out there as well. But um, yeah, I was creating all these various different Revit courses. The problem is, you know, the technology changes every year. They come up with a new version and it's like, okay, soon, you know, it's been a year or so since I launched this course. I don't necessarily, I didn't want to redo the course. So I would just launch another course. Um, so, you know, like, you know, shock, I've got 18 courses. I'm not quite sure, you know, what to do with them all. Um, and that's where, yeah, that's where we, that was my big, my big dilemma when we first met up. Yeah, it felt like browsing around your site. If I was putting my shoes in um, myself in the shoes of somebody visiting your site, there was a lot of great information, but it was almost there was too many choices, yeah. and it was it wasn't as clear as is the best way that you could help me. And so, how did you go about that process of deciding what to start eliminating? It was funny because um, I I remember when we were talking, you know, it was like, okay, can I can I package these courses up, or what what can I do and at that time, I had had a course uh, that was a few years old, and I, I would get a lot of inquiries out of the blue, like, hey, are you going to update this particular course? Uh, and the course was called uh, Mastering Revit Macros, which was about you know, writing or coding um, macros for the Revit software. And I, again, I had done it a while ago. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that again, but I'm getting a lot of interest. Uh, or people would ask me, oh, hey, can you write a course about programming? like plugins for Revit. And I'm like, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have a course, but it was happening enough. Like every couple of weeks I would get, get an email like that, you know, and it's like, well, maybe I should, I should do a course like this. And again, I had some other um, offers out there that I just wasn't that excited about. And in thinking, you know, how am I going to, what am I going to do with all these courses? Um, when I was in your boot camp, I'm like, well, maybe I should just, do a new course, but I should really focus on it. Um, and then that was kind of the the decision. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to you know, not try to reorganize what I already have. I'm going to sort of double down on this other course. And so, you know, now today, how many different offers do you have? One. <laughs> One offer. Yeah, I have, I have a, a, an actual, like a software, a plugin that I sell of my own. And then I have... You know, my, uh, what it's called the Revit Add-in Academy is like my other, my other offer. And there are different sort of points of entry into it. Um, but that is, it is a, a learning community and it's, um, sort of subscription based. So how does the subscription work? Um, I offer like three levels. So you can buy a year subscription. Um, you can buy a, a six month or you can get a, a, a quarterly, so three month subscription. And there's, you know, different sort of price breakdowns for each. Uh, right now for the year, I sell that for $1,700 US. Um, and then six month is a thousand. And then I do 500, you know, roughly for the quarter. Um, 
And I do offer like cohorts. I've been doing sort of cohort based courses recently and that I will bring in a cohort into the academy through my, um, what's called the Revit Add-in Bootcamp. So for kind of new programmers who want to start out, they'll come into the academy through the bootcamp. And I, the way I do the pricing on that is I, when I was selling that as a standalone course, I was selling, you know, for, for nine ninety seven or something like that. So I keep that pricing, but now they, they join the academy, the bootcamp happens inside the academy and they get six months, like six months access to it. So I'm still okay. the course, but it's really giving them access to the academy for a time period. So let me make sure I'm understanding this. You've got you've got something called the the Revit Add-in Bootcamp, and you've got the Revit Add-in Academy. And so, um, can you get into the academy without first signing up for the bootcamp? Um, and I would have to kind of vet you, or if I I, I do have an application process that somebody would go through. So I would want to make sure that they were a somewhat experienced programmer before they came in to the academy. Um, so the, okay. yeah, and it's really like the academy is kind of the container. So it's built on circle. It is, it's a community, but I have courses within the academy, one of which is the bootcamp. So, um, when you join the bootcamp, that's like the introductory, you know, here's how you program, you know, here's all the tools you're going to need. We go through kind of a, a nine week boot camp to get them. And when they finish, then I have intermediate and more advanced courses that they can take. Um, I ha- I've been, I've been sort of dialing it in. I switched to circle uh, over the summer. So I'm like still working out all the pieces to it, but um, it has, you know, I've been offering and I, I did the boot camp. Um, I did two boot camps in, in the circle site. And then I've also done an intermediate class as well. So I have had new people come into the academy through this intermediate course. Okay. Yeah. I definitely want to talk to you about the, like the delivery tech and whatnot. And I know you're using circle now, but, um, the boot camp. you know, you, you just mentioned that if somebody goes straight to the academy, they can go to the courses and the boot camp is one of those courses, but I was under the impression the boot camp was live. Do you, is there a live and pre-recorded yeah, version? There is. So I, when I did it originally, um, and again, I'm on my sixth, I've done six cohorts of the boot camp. The first time I did it, it was, it was all live. So we would have, um, you know, we would have a, it was set up. We'd have a live class that was done on zoom and then it was recorded and then like hosted on a, at, when I first did it, um, when I was as part of your bootcamp, Jock, I, um, I was using Thinkific for hosting all the course content. And then I was doing zoom for, you know, for our recorded sessions. Uh, and I think I had, I was using Slack or something like that for kind of the community piece to it. Um, I've refined it and then I, I switched to Kajabi and I was doing everything on Kajabi. Um, and then I had issues about the Kajabi community. Um, and so I moved it to circle, but the way I've done it now is I record the, the course piece is pre-recorded, but it gets dropped. Like I'll, I'll drip it at certain time periods. And then I have live components as well. So there's like a Q and a every week I'll do as a live component for students within that class. And then, um, I'll do a review session kind of at the end of each lesson, which will also be live. So it's a kind of a hybrid mix. 
Yeah, but you mentioned cohort. So you're you're getting every couple of months, you're getting a group of people together to go through this all together with you at the same time. Yeah. And what I found, so doing, you know, having done courses uh, for a while and having done, you know, I would had sold a lot of my courses previously were pre-recorded. You know, you, but you go to think if you buy the course, you have access to it, you consume it however you want. Um, I enjoyed making the courses, but I found that like, I, I missed the connection with the students. So there was a part of me that I, even though I'd done the work and I put it into the course, like I didn't have a connection to the student and I felt not that I felt bad selling it, but I couldn't really get behind it. Cause I didn't know if they were going to get the outcome. Like I couldn't, I didn't have a good sense. I knew the course was good, but I, I didn't, there was no mechanism to, you know, make them take the course. And for me, sort of as, as the teacher, it just didn't feel right necessarily. And I had tried some cohort courses before and I really, I liked the format because I got to know everybody uh, and, and I could kind of check in on them and see if they were, how they were doing. Do you have any questions? So it was a lot more satisfying using a cohort model. So, you know, the issue is it doesn't, it takes time. It doesn't necessarily scale. Uh, but I, what I also found that I liked is the, there is sort of built in scarcity. Like the class starts on this day, you know, I don't have to put pressure on you either join it or you don't, but we're starting right here. And I really liked that on the marketing side because that's it. You know, that's when we're going to start. And then when is the next one? Well, you know, maybe it's in a couple months or, or longer. But I, I liked how that the scarcity tied directly into marketing and it, it was authentic because we're going to start on, you know, I have an orientation session starting next Monday. So if you want to join, join now. Uh, and it, that felt good to me on, as far as marketing goes. Yeah, it's uh, that's one of the best things about the cohort based approach is that you've got extremely real built in, you know, urgency and scarcity. So Hey, it's going to start on this date, whether you're in it or not. So you've got to make a decision because we're starting, right? That's the urgency piece. And then are you limiting, are you limiting the amount of seats that are available for the cohorts? I typically do. Yeah. So I would limit it to 30 students, 30 seats. Okay. Yep. So each time you launch this boot camp, you've got, uh, you're priced at around a thousand dollars. You're saying, Hey, only 30 seats available. Um, so that's, I mean, if you're willing to fulfill on that, that's a great model. You know, Alex Hermosi has this sales to fulfillment um, continuum where you're on one side, um, you've got easy to sell, but hard to fulfill. And that's more of this live cohort based thing where because, because of the inherent nature of teaching it live, it makes it, it makes it easier to sell because they know they're going to get access to you. They know they're going through it with other people. Um, and then you've got the urgency and scarcity, but then you've got more to do on the fulfillment side. Right. On the other side of that continuum is um, harder to sell, but easier to fulfill. And that's the more traditional course model. And I think fewer people than should um, try what you're doing. I think it's a great way to start because it's easier to sell, yeah. you know, and, and you've found that, you know, not only that, but you really enjoy this model as well. So you've made it a part of your business model going forward. Right. And uh, I mean, one thing I like to do too, is just to, I like to sell it before I actually, do the work. So using, you know, using a cohort and I like, I'm doing, I'm doing an intermediate course right now where all I needed to do, you know, I needed a sales page and I needed an outline of what I was going to cover in the course. So it, you know, this course it's, it's nine weeks. So it's four modules. Like I recorded 
you know, by module three, like video today, you know? And so I, I'm developing the course as I go through and what's worked out great with the, um, for my boot camp is that I've recorded all like the, the video, like the skill, the teaching piece. So when I run a new cohort, I just have to kind of, all I show up for are the live sessions, which I think is what really where the value is. Um, you know, and I just drip out kind of the, the skill, like the classroom piece. Um, and so students get access to that. They can watch it. You know, once I, once I release the video, they can watch it on their own time and then we'll get together real time for, you know, Q and A sessions and review sessions. So it's sort of that, it's like that flipped classroom model. Um, and it works out. I find it's worked out really, really good for me. Uh, so, you know, the more time like doing another boot camp isn't, isn't that much. I just need to schedule when my live sessions are and I show up for those and it's Q and A. And so I don't have to do a lot of prep. Like the work has been done as far as structuring and organizing the course and, and creating the, the sort of pre-recorded pieces. So it, yeah. So it sounds like the majority of your revenue is coming from these from these boot camps, and then you do have the continuity program as well. They get access to that, and then they want to continue on in the academy. Right. Then you've got the pricing for that as well. Yeah. Talk me through what these uh, these launches look like because that sounds like the key piece. You know how how you're making money. So every every few months you're launching um, these cohorts. What are you doing? Is it just to your email list? You're sending out emails. Walk me through the launches. It's a, a little bit of both. So I'll. Well, I'll do a, typically I'll do a, a webinar, like a free webinar and I'll do a live webinar and I will announce that through my, my, um, mailing list. And then, you know, that, what I like to do is just sort of narrow, you know, narrow down the funnel. I want to get people into the webinar and then they've indicated they're interested. Then I'll start pitching to, you know, pitching the course launch. And I'll usually do it like three weeks before I'm going to start the cohort, I will plan a webinar, uh, you know, run the webinar and then I'll kind of market the webinar. Um, after the, that's finished, then I'll start going through the, you know, I'll market the new course to the, or the new cohort, uh, to people who attended the webinar. And I'll, I'll make some broadcasts as well to my, um, main mailing list, but that, that's worked out pretty well. Do you ever feel like you're just marketing to the same people? Like, do you ever worry you're not going to be able to get new people in? Cause you've already, you've already been, they've already seen this offer. Yeah. And that that's, um, I mean, I try to vary the, the webinar a little bit, but it's all, it's sort of variations of a theme. Um, I mean, that's one issue I'm dealing with now is just building my audience more. So I've been looking at, you know, YouTube or, or different types of, uh, content, um, to attract new people. In. So that, that is a concern. Um, but I've been consistent, you know, in terms of, uh, with like, I, my first two cohorts, I filled them, you know, no problem. I've noticed that the cohorts have been dropping in size. So I'm not getting a full 30, but I can definitely get about 20 people for each subsequent cohort. So, but that, yeah, long term, um, I would, you know, I, I do need to up my, my efforts on the content side leading to, you know, new subscribers leading to new potential um, yeah. cohort members. So if you could talk to me a little bit about your webinar, because um, I've actually, I've used you as a case study here and there with webinars, because uh, I know for, for a little bit, you would, you would just kind of teach for an hour mm. and then, and then ask for the sale. 
and then you 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 switch to a more a more Russell Brunson-y model, right? Where you've got kind of I don't know if you call them secrets, but it's not just straight teaching. It's more of perspective shifts for people, right? Can you talk about some of those changes you made in your webinar? Yeah, they, I had done webinars and, and prior to launching the Revit Adding Academy, I would just randomly do a webinar on a topic. It may or may not be tied to a uh, to an actual, you know, a pitch or a sales offer that was going out. Um, and when I got into your bootcamp, Jack, I started, okay, I need to look at this, you know, a little bit more seriously. Um, and we worked a lot through, you know, really crafting a webinar so that it, it leads or sort of naturally into, into a sale and that here is the problem, you know, I can help you solve it. And, and here is the thing that will solve it. And so that was a real, that was really eye, eye opening to me to kind of step through what it might be like for a prospective student to, you know, identify with the problems as I was highlighting them. And then, you know, let me lead them to, to that solution. And so, yeah, it, it, my original approach was like, I'm just going to teach you a bunch of stuff. Hopefully you like how I teach. And then, Oh, by the way, here's a product uh, as opposed to really thinking about, okay, how can I, how can I teach, but also, you know, satisfy my, my sales goals as well um, in such a way that is authentic. Um, but positioned in such a way that I will help you solve your problems. You know, I understand what those problems are. And then here is a solution that I can offer you. So it, it, um, that, that really changed things for me is take, taking that kind of approach. And so I do for all my webinars, I use that similar sort of format, either secrets, you know, or tips or something. Um, and again, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel super salesy, which is good. Good. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the webinar you had before, I don't think it was ineffective, right? Yeah. Some people, some people would buy and whatnot. Um, but do you think that the, I mean, is it fair to say that the, the, the new version is more effective Yeah. and do you think it's because your attendees on the first version felt like they, they got what they needed and they didn't need anything more? Do you think that's the reason? Um, yeah, I think that was it. It was like, there was, oh, you solved my problem right here in this webinar, you know, and I think as opposed to leading like, okay, here's some additional problems. Um, and the solution being kind of the course sale, like I think sometimes when you're doing a straight teaching, you know, you're, it, it is good in terms of audience building and it's good in terms of um, being able to demonstrate your ability to teach, uh, but it's not always effective um, as a marketing Effort. And I think that that was really uh, the switch for me is looking at a webinar is really a market, mar marketing opportunity. It's not just about teaching a class uh, and, and, and doing it again in such a way that feels you know, natural and authentic. So that switch helped a lot. Right. What I always say is that like by the time we get to the pitch at the end of our webinar, we, we need to have made them believe that first of all, they can do this, they can do this thing. And secondly, that, you know, Michael and his program are the perfect way for me to be able to do that. Yeah. And so I think probably with the first version of your webinar, you probably were empowering people. You were probably were getting people to say, I can do yeah. this because you just taught them for an hour, <laughs> but you probably weren't getting them to say yes to the second question, which is, you know, I believe Michael and his program are the way for me to do it. You probably, the, the answer was probably, you know, this, what I just learned in the past hour is how I can do this. I'm gonna go Whereas with the, 
Yeah, right. And so um, you were probably getting people to say yes that just like really wanted to get that super deep deep dive with you. Whereas with the with the approach you're using now, um, it gets more people to say yes to that second question where you're where you're showing them what's possible, but they really need your program to to get to that that uh, that dream outcome. And it's not they're not able to just scratch it with the, the hour they just spent with you. Yeah, and I think too articulating like yes, you can do this on your own. But, you know, here's things you're going to run into. Um, and if you want to do this, and I, I find this myself, and I, and I think that's why I really, um, your boot camp was great for me because there was accountability built into it. And like, it wasn't, you know, I was going to, I had to put some effort into it, but there was structure in place to make sure I do it. And I know like that works for me, like having a structure. So if I'm going to buy a course, I want to make sure you know, I'm not just consuming it, you know, cause I've got other things to do. It's easy to like, I'll do something else rather than, you know, work on this course. But if I have, you know, set dates, I'm going to meet and times to be and places to be and, and there's expectations, um, you know, it's just sort of human nature. That's going to help me get the results I want. So I think in, in, in some ways for us as course creators, it's creating an environment where you can get those results. Um, and, and that's through, you know, having, again, I like the cohort. So having an appointment, like I need to meet at this time. Um, and there is going to be expectations that, you know, I need to have things done. Yeah. I think everybody needs a, a different level of accountability. And I know, I know you, you appreciate a high level of accountability and, and I do as well. I recently, um, uh, went through Gretchen Rubin's, the four tendencies. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that. And um, do you know what type you are by I chance? Don't. I don't. I know vaguely about the different four tendencies, but I'm not sure. I haven't. I haven't delved into it deep enough to know which, which one I. Which one is yours? Well, I'm. 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 Uh, what's called an obliger, okay. which means that I I meet outer expectations, uh, but I don't meet inner expectations. And the obliger is the one that needs outside accountability the most. That's like the her big message is. You know, m most people are actually obligers, but they're also the easiest to, um, to, I don't know if fix is the right word, but to, um, to improve circumstances because all you have to do is add in outside accountability. And so what that means is, is, you know, if you, Michael, are, are expecting something from me or I tell you I'm going to do something, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that thing because I'm good at meeting outward expectations. But if I tell myself, oh, I'm going to wake up early, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to go, you know, exercise and I'm going to, um, I'm going to do that, but nobody else is holding me accountable. I'm really bad at following through on that. That's what an obliger is. It sounds like maybe you're the, you're the I same. Be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm big, you know, outside accountability is huge for me as well. So next let's, um, let's talk a little bit about tech. You brought up circle. You've mentioned Kajabi and Thinkific. Um, talk to me about your tech platform as it stands today. So right or now, your tech stack. My my website is hosted on Kajabi, and I have a couple. Like I said, I have a plugin that I offer for sale. So I do use Kajabi for kind of delivery of the the plugin. Um, and I did switch though, as far as like my course platform is now on Circle, um, and I I made that switch over uh, just over the the summer. I believe it was yeah so why um uh, i i have been trying different combinations of of tech like i've been kind of trying to tweak and find the right 
platform. Um, I started initially on Thinkific and that was great for just delivering kind of, you know, um, self-guided courses and that, that worked out fine. And then I, I started experimenting, doing, doing some early like cohort classes. So I was using Thinkific and Slack and Zoom and, you know, a different combination. Um, Kajabi, I thought was going to be it and, and it worked well. I actually used your template, uh, for Kajabi and I liked that it had the community piece. Um, and that was something that I, other platforms like Thinkific didn't have. And that's why I would, you know, mix and match, um, different community type platforms. Uh, but then Kajabi's changed their, uh, community platform and that I, I ran, let's see, I did, I think I did two cohorts on the old Kajabi community and then they switched to the new one and it just wasn't, it wasn't well integrated. Uh, it, my issue was like, it wasn't sticky, like people weren't using it. And, you know, I, I really like to think in, in my, particularly in my cohort classes, like we have our live times, you know, you have content that you're going to consume on your time. And then we have, you know, the community itself, that's all part of it. And they all need to work together. And, and the Kajabi community just wasn't, it was too, too separate from everything else. And it didn't tie together. And I, was curious about circle. Um, I actually run another, I have like another community. It's a free community that I run which is on uh, mighty network. Um, but I didn't, there are certain things about mighty network. I don't love. So I didn't want to do, you know, I didn't want to move to that platform. Um, so I'm like, let me try circle and let's see, see how it goes. Uh, and it's worked out really well. Cause I have all, again, all the courses or the course content is I use um, Vimeo. And so I, then I just link, Vimeo. Vimeo is hosting my, my video content. Um, and then I'll just link in on the course pages to that. And then I have, you know, discussion areas and, and areas where, where students can showcase things they're working on. So it's given me, um, that kind of stickiness that I've really been looking for. And it, and it does feel like a community. I also like that circle will send out weekly emails like, Hey, here's what's going on in Revit at an academy. And so if, if students, you know, have been busy with work and they're not able to participate, this is a good reminder to kind of re-engage people to come back. And that's like one big thing that I've, um, I know I think school does this as well. Uh, but that was the one piece that I was really looking for, like just to get people re-engaged and spotlight what's going on. So I've been happy, like really happy. I, you know, I still every, it's like every six months, I think like, oh, you know, what tech should I look at now? And now I wonder, well, you know, I, I have Kajabi, but I'm not really using a lot of the features. So do I think about moving, you know, my, my site somewhere else? And do I want to use a different, um, I had been on ConvertKit for email marketing and then I went to Kajabi. Um, and now I'm like, well, maybe I should move my list again somewhere else. I, I don't know. Um, so it keeps, you know, it, it's good to sort of keeps things interesting. <laughs> As long as you have a high tolerance for, you know, moving your stuff around. Um, yeah, that's true. The, the tech puzzle can be, um, it can be rewarding and it can be, it can be frustrating as well. It's interesting. You know, we, we haven't spoken much over the past few months yet. We took, we've taken a, a pretty similar path with, with our fulfillment piece. And, you know, I haven't really um, talked about school too much here on the podcast yet, but you know, when, uh, what, maybe a year ago, 18 months ago, you mentioned using my Kajabi template for the fulfillment of your program. 
And that's that was before Kajabi launched their new community. And, that's and what they ended up doing. It was great. Loved it. Yeah, it was simple. It was simple. I, I, I made it, you know, for me, having your course and your community and your, your events calendar kind of all wrapped up in the same place, it seems like a no brainer, but it's, you know, not many people are actually doing it. And so when I switched to Kajabi, um, I made a template that did that. And I was very, very happy with, with how it turned out. And I started even selling that template and, and, and you started using it. Um, and it was great for a time, but they weren't continuing to um, update, improve and support their old community. And instead they went out and they bought a community company viably. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> I mean, I used it. It's terrible. Did a cohort and we, you know, we used, used it, but nobody, nobody used it. You know what I mean? Like it was part of the course experience, but it wasn't getting used. And that was a problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So because they weren't, you know, because Kajabi went this path and they were no, like they, they still let me use the old community. They weren't forcing me to switch it over, but they just weren't updating it. And it, you know, the, as more time passed, it was getting more and more outdated, lacked features, other things were passing them up. And so eventually I felt the pressure to upgrade mine to the new community about maybe six weeks ago. And it's really interesting. I wrote this word down. You said that it wasn't sticky. It's very, that's a great word for it. The word I've been using is that there was too much friction for people to interact, find the things they needed. It, it went, it's, it started going downhill a little bit in terms of the level of conversations and interactions that were actually happening. People, you know, I personally was repelled by it. I, I kind of stopped jumping in there and interacting for a time because there was too much friction and it, and it, to use your word, it wasn't, it wasn't sticky. And so as, as you know, I think that first version, uh, the template that I had, you know, it, it no longer worked with the new community, but I designed that in the simplicity of it based on school's design, S-K-O-O-L. I designed it based on their design. Um, because I also really enjoy having, you know, most of my online course business in one place. And that's one of the reasons you originally moved to Kajabi, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. And then that started but there, to break apart. And then, you know, now I think with Circle for me and School for you, like everything's integrated and I, I go to one place, like I hang out in one place. You hang out in one place, but you're still running a lot of the other pieces of your business in Kajabi because circle, school, you can't do all those other pieces. Right. You know? So um, I, you know, I'm still a big fan of Kajabi and and recommend it. And it's not always the right move to move your courses off of Kajabi. It's just that I don't like the direction they're going with this community piece. And so for my coaching program, we have moved that piece over to um, over to school. And it's been it's been phenomenal. You know, I've, I've used circle a little bit, but I can't recommend school highly enough other than the fact that it's yet another piece of tech in the, in the stack. Yeah. And I feel like I I've joined another of other like course slash learning communities, you know, that are on circle and that are on school. And I feel like that's the direction thing, you know, things are moving in like that, you know, that is, that's the expectation. Um, and again, for me as, as the sort of course creator, uh, that has been the most rewarding kind of course experience it has been, you know, on circle, I, like kind of came together 
Um, but I think that it's a similar framework where you have community, you have course courses, you have events, they're integrated. And the platform really supports that and, and makes it sticky and easy to engage in, yeah. you know, conversations. Yeah. But you're still, you've still got a lot of other components of your business in Kajabi. So even if say you decided to go back to ConvertKit or another email service, well, you know, they don't necessarily, they can't, you know, have all your website yeah. or your you know, order forms um, yeah. and so on. So I, I haven't I'm seeing this out yet that. Well, I would, my recommendation would be just stay in yeah. Kajabi because I think it does those other pieces well still. It just, I, you know, I, I want, I'm, I'm always trying to stay on top of, you know, the best experience for all these different things. And for years I was a ClickFunnels guy, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, eventually, you know, I'm, I'm I, big on courses, obviously, and they, they didn't make updates to their course platform. And it started falling behind. I used it for like four years. And in four years, all of their features for delivering a course never changed. And it was clear they weren't putting any emphasis on that. It was a really great funnel builder, but it wasn't a great place for me to run a lot of different pieces of my business. And so eventually, you know, I saw that and I had to make a change. I tried WordPress, too many headaches, Kajabi and Kajabi served me really well and continues to serve me well, but not for the same purpose. And it's like, Ah, uh, you know, what, when did they announce the new community thing? Like six months ago, eight months yeah, ago, yeah. something like that. And I just do not like the direction. I mean, you just look at it like they have separate mobile apps. Like if you want your students to view courses, you got to download one Kajabi app. And if you want your students to go to the Kajabi community, you have to use another community uh, um, app, mobile app. And it's like, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. Like, this is all one thing, guys. Right. And it should be, you know, it should be a uniformed experience, ideally. If, if what, you yeah. know, what we're selling is a learning experience, ideally, it's happening in one place. So you, you liked the template, yeah. right? What made you want to move off of that and try the new Kajabi community? Uh, well, I had, I actually created a new course in Kajabi. So I, I did my original bootcamp. And then from there, I created another sort of, you know, next, like a level two course. And so as soon as I did that in Kajabi, it's like, I couldn't use the old community. I had to, if I wanted to have a community component, it created the new, you know, the new Kajabi uh, community with it. I was like, okay. You know, I, I wasn't able to to have the continuity with the old, the old one. Um, otherwise, yeah, they, they can, they continue to let you run the old one, but you couldn't create, create new ones. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I did it once sense. and then I'm like, well, this, this isn't sustainable. This, this isn't going to work. Um, this is exactly what Kajabi was great. Cause again, using your template, I had everything in one place. And then all of a sudden it kind of broke that, that continuity. Um, so then I started thinking, yeah, right, I need to do something different. So what uh, what's next for you uh, going forward? You think you'll continue to run these boot camps and and run the academy going forward, and maybe just try to drive a little more traffic yeah, into your ecosystem? Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in in again. I've kind of doubled down on the niche, the niche within the niche, and it's really just trying to grow the community from here. Um, so I've been filling out uh, like within the within the academy itself. I ideally want to have kind of four courses. So you have the boot camp for beginners. Uh, I'm doing an intermediate course right now. Uh, I have a course in there as well, which deals with user interfaces. So if you want to create, you know, user interfaces for your plugins, 
and then I'm planning to do a more advanced course. And I feel like that's a good, you know, there's enough content there to be able to take somebody from a total beginner to, you know, pretty experienced uh, plugin creator. Um, so I'm getting there as far as the content goes. And then simultaneously trying to grow, grow membership, you know, bring people in, um, in the boot camp and kind of keep them in that, in the academy there on it. So it's, it's good. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of different challenges in within each of it, but I feel like I've um, sort of hit on, you know, after a number of different years, trying different things, at least for right now, I feel like I have, you know, I have the right kind of solution for people who want to learn how to program. Uh, so it's now it's going to be really just working out, fine tuning the, the details, but I'm really happy with, with the course and the course experience. Good. So lastly, Michael, what, um, what, what advice do you have for more beginner course creators? You know, somebody's coming to you, Michael, I love what you've uh, done with in the architecture space. I'd like to do something similar. You know, what advice do you have for that type of person? Um, you know, I would say like we talked about friction, like remove, remove as much friction as you can. Um, what I really liked in your bootcamp, Jack, was this, you know, we, we focused a lot on, you know, getting that webinar, like, getting the webinar down, like the course, I think you obviously need an idea for a course, but I, I'm a big fan of like, you know, sell it before you make it. Like don't spend all your effort on the course itself, like figure out how you're going to market it, figure out, you know, what are you going to use a webinar or are you going to use, you know, content, like get that piece and then do sort of, you know, live cohorts are great because there's not a lot of friction between, you know, your idea and actually delivering the course. You can do that kind of in real time and build it. And what I found me is I, I would always, you know, survey my students at the end and I made changes. I've made ch every subsequent boot camp, even though the, the, the content has changed, like the format has changed um, based on student feedback. And so, you know, if you put all this effort in and here's my course and it's done, you know, before you sell it, like you, you're, you're not going to want to go back and, and change it. So you can really fine tune it and think of it too, as you know, it's not, it's a product that you're going to want to tweak um, and go on. So um, yeah, remove as much friction as you can and, you know, and, and, and start, you know, start small. Maybe it's just a handful of students in a live cohort on zoom, you know, and then, and grow it from there. Great advice. All right, Michael from arcsmarter.com. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks Jack. It's been fun. All right. That's a wrap on that full conversation. I owe Michael a thanks for coming on, but I also owe him an apology. Listen to this right before we started recording. My wife comes in and she looked like a ghost. She could barely utter a word. She opened my door. She goes, snake. She turns out she was out in the garden uh, doing a little yard work and there were some noises happening. And within just a couple of feet of her was a very, very large and venomous uh, snake. And she came running inside. Normally, she's very good about respecting my recording time and whatnot, but I don't blame her at all for uh, for breaking that this time. So I went outside and and I braved the beast and was able to um, to take care of the problem. I'll just put it at that. But uh, she was not exaggerating. It was probably you know, five feet long, I'd have to say, pretty thick, definitely venomous. 
Uh, very scary, but we took care of it. Not something I, I see around my house too often. So if you did notice anything different about my demeanor in this interview with Michael, that might have been it because that happened right before we actually started recording. But the show, of course, must go on. So thank you again to Michael and sorry again to him for having to delay. I kind of we were we were chatting and I said, "Hey, I'll be right back." And so uh, it took ten or fifteen minutes to come back and then actually start the interview. Thank you out there as well for listening here to another episode. This has been episode 214 of the online course show. So that means you can find the links and show notes we talked about today by going to oc.show slash 214. And in the last episode, I told you about my new weekly newsletter that is free that if you're not on the list, you should go sign up for And I'm going to tell you about it here again. So if you want one actionable tip for your online course business to your inbox every Friday for free from me, then all you got to do is head to the onlinecourseguy.com. You'll see a spot right at the top to enter your email address and you'll be subscribed to that list. It's free. People are loving it. It's valuable and it's actionable. You can plug that into your business, whether you're getting started or you are looking to scale your online course business as well. So check that out. It's called Jacques Journal. Once again, the online course guy. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode. Remember to take action on the things that you are hearing and learning. Go implement them in your business. I'm rooting for you. Take care.